Hi, I'm Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps podcast. In this episode, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC sits down with Prescott Scheibels, the General Manager of Randall Riley's Asset Intelligence Division. Let's jump in as Casey and Prescott talk about predictive analytics and turbulent data as it relates to the used equipment market. So let's jump into it, man. It's a, it's a weird time right now, especially when you're trying to use a crystal ball to figure out what's going on. You know, half the time it's so glad you can't use it anyway. And right now I think it's a black gelatinous mud that you definitely can't see what's going on in the marketplace. So we've got delays out there and what that looks like. We've got, you know, price increases. We've got canceled orders. We've got delayed orders. You know, we're looking at new orders showing up nine months to a year out, even further, and depending on what it is and and manufacturing, those kind of things. So I guess, Prescott, when you guys are looking at the EDA data that comes through with that stuff, let's start with that first. Let's, Let's talk about EDA data for a minute. So when you're looking at EDA data right now and the amount of stuff that's getting booked outside of someone's normal roles, you know, trade cycle and those kind of things. So that's one thing great about EDA data is it's very easy to have that conversation with a customer. And it's just like, it looks like every three years you're trading your equipment, every five years you're trading equipment and you can start targeting those things. Well, right now, if there were, you know, two or three or four years was their normal trade cycle, it might be out five or six years now, just because of the way things have landed and those kind of things and the skew that you see there. How are you having that conversation with, with your customers and, and how, how much has that affected the data that you see out there right now? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think a couple of key things. One, um, seeing different patterns for different kinds of buyers. Right. So uh, one of the things we looked at um, at, at your conference uh, was combine stuff and and seeing that, hey, you know, the the under five-year stuff was was performing similar to new, you know, down 15%. And the older stuff was performing um, similar. But the five to nine-year-old stuff was was not selling nearly as much. Uh, had about a 32% year-over-year decline, and it's been in decline for since last September. Yeah. So I think you're seeing certain cohorts of buyers opting out of the, the prices that are, that are out there right now. And based on kind of the the buyer behavior that that's going on in that market, you know, folks that have really good balance sheets want to keep the younger equipment and keep their operating costs down. And folks that, that don't really don't want to make um, bad investments at the top of a, a used equipment market. Yeah. The same way that, it, that dealers are, are kind of worried about it. Um, so I think a lot of what we're really lo- working towards is trying to help, Customers, uh, our client success department does a great job of really taking that data and trying to bring some analytics behind it and tell the story. Here's what's yeah. moving. Here, here are the themes that are changing in your in your market. I was talking to someone in uh, a dealer in Tennessee just yesterday about some of the the really big shifts in his market and you know different strategies that they can deploy uh, to get there. Um, we just launched a couple of things that I think are interesting on that. Um, our predictive model has been out for about a year on that. Um, so when you do have a, a challenging piece of equipment, I think one of the great things that we're able to do is really, you know, bubble up uh, some high quality leads based on on our predictive model, who's likely to buy in the next year. 
the second thing is uh, we've introduced all of our brand loyalty stuff. So mm-hmm. what we're seeing is a lot less, and I don't know to what extent you're seeing it in the market, but we're seeing a lot less brand loyalty as people are kind of forced to consider um, new suppliers. And that means, you know, equipment and parts and tires and just about everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the customer loyalty side of that, I mean, I think we saw some of that customer loyalty, um, you know, the internet's made the world a pretty small place. So it's really easy to get a lot of information out pretty quickly, especially when you're, you know, you get it all on your phone or tablet or whatever it is. And especially if you're sitting in the cab during some planting season or harvest or whatever it is that you got going on there. Um, not that you have downtime when you're in the cab, but, just driving itself. So you're kind of monitoring monitors, you know, so kind of paying attention to those things and, and what happens there. I don't want to say customer loyalty has gone away because I don't know that it has gone away, but it you have to work a little bit harder now than you've had in the past to maintain and grow those relationships, um, especially with a, with a newer generation coming into the farm. You're seeing a lot more folks that are spending a lot of time looking at the, the latest and greatest, whatever it is. And you know, they don't buy the same way that the previous generation did. And I want to say it's a disloyal group by any means, because that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that it's just a different buying pattern than, than we've seen in the past two generations that come along with it. You know I mean? They're looking at not so much as uh, the dealership that's five miles away, not necessarily because they're five miles away, they're going to do business there. They're going to look at some other options that are out there too. And, and, you know, whether that's on the equipment side or the input side or or wherever it is, the banking side, whatever it is. I mean, there's a lot of different functionalities that come into play there. And it's just, like I said, more information is available, more responsiveness. Those kind of things are all are all playing into that customer loyalty factor. You know, we we just finished a survey of, you know, um, of buyers. Um and we saw a couple of interesting things. Um, relationship with local dealers still the second most, you know, the price they they still cite prices like the one of the key influences, like sixty three percent, but fifty six percent said um, relationship with local dealer much more so than the brand. So I think the one core thing that I would say is like, hey you're kind of more in control of the loyalty factor as a dealer than the, than, than your OEM is. And I think, you know, when you think about workforce development, when you think about, you know, customer service, um, those are the, the, the core ways to help shore that up. Um, but we do see, even though some folks are loyal, um, 71% of, of, of those respondents said that they consider two or more brands when they're, when they're purchasing. So that's almost three quarters. Yeah, and that's that's the that's what I'm getting at is that that it's not that they're not disloyal. I mean, they're not going to just go out and and stab you in the back, but they're going to like, eh, you know, trust but verify type of type of scenario. And I think that's what you're seeing a lot more in the overall marketplace than we've seen in the past. So yeah. when you're looking at, so when you're looking at this data now, and and you're trying to compile all these different functions and things that are rolling together, I mean, because. With what with what you guys have, you have the iron solution side, which is the you know the the ag equipment guidebooks that have been around mm-hmm. forever, and then you got the EDA data, which covers what do you cover? Farm equipment, trucks, the truck industry, construction, trucks, yeah, machine tools, work right. trucks. So how how is this all playing together with that broader spectrum of equipment? I mean, the truck side of it's been 
it's been worse than I think any any one segment of the marketplace has been. Yeah, I mean, I think um, if there's one thing I can say, you know, about um, kind of the, the future in the crystal ball is values in trucks have declined, I think, about 30% since spring. Yeah, um, I've seen that. Yeah. Supply chain has not changed. They're still not being, they're still not able to take orders. So what's driving it, it's, it, it's freight rates, right? You know, you can't really justify that. So I think, you know, uh, the canary in the coal mine here is going to probably be, you know, commodities prices more than anything else. So, um, but I I do think uh, there are a lot of lessons to be learned there. Um, We saw some smart dealers really make moves to shut down their, their uh, inventory acquisition at the right time and kind of burn off some of their stuff quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of folks doing um, uh, dedicated campaigns for their older equipment. So if it goes past 90 days, like really moving special, you know, specialty campaigns, Facebook feeds, or and even just targeting um, high volume used buyers. Um, and then, um, then the interesting thing is after mar- after things stabilized, they actually started doing digital campaigns to actually acquire equipment. So. Yeah. I think that's kind of the the new world too, is like, we might be in a world where trade-ins and dealer to dealer are not the only ways that you acquire equipment anymore. Uh, You may need to start thinking about diversifying your tactics on that side of things. Yeah. That's a, uh, I've had that conversation a lot and some people listen to me. Some people are asking questions about it and other people are, if there's any one thing I'll say about the farm equipment industry is that <clears throat> the customers are are not um, afraid to, afraid of change as much as people think they are because um, they're looking to be as profitable as they can be, right? In a marketplace where you control nothing that goes into your business, right? You don't control inputs. You don't control commodity yeah. prices. You don't control the weather. There's nothing that you can control, right? All you can control is when you plant it and when you harvest it. That's it. You don't control anything else. You don't control how much water comes out of the sky. You don't control anything, right? So in most industries, there are, there's some level of control as to what you can, you know, some of your input costs, some of your labor costs, all these different things that come into play. You can control those things, but you don't control that stuff on, on the farming side. And I think that, looking at you know what we see happening from a technology perspective what we see happening from you know a finance perspective what we see happen from all these different things every one of these customers are looking at a way to make things better at varying levels of change right now i mean some people are hey you know what i'm going to go out and change things just for the sake of changing things or some are like yeah i mean we've been doing it the same way for a long time and it's worked we make, we make little tweaks here and there but for the most part we do it this way type of thing and you know, looking and having these conversations and talking to customers out there using the data that you see. I mean, one technology adoption is at varying levels, but there's, it's hard to find someone that's farming right now. That's not using some kind of guidance, right? Some kind of GPS guidance, right? I don't, I'm sure there's somebody out there that doesn't use it, but they're like the one in the County that doesn't use it. Right. You know? So, I mean, if, if you, if you look, if you're looking at, the overall perspective and, and what that looks like. How are you looking at 
technology and the things that are coming down the pike now? And how are you, how are you valuing that from, from a guidebook perspective? I mean, how are you, how are you taking that technology and, and really using it to show that, Hey, you know what, this machine is worth X without an X with Y. Cause some of that technology, the machine's kind of worthless without it. Yeah. So, I mean, the best way I think we can handle that is through having conversations with you guys. So one of the core things that we've really tried to change and I hope I, 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 the feedback that I've gotten is that, that people are noticing is that we're having more conversations with dealers about the things that are the real mover. Uh, needle movers. So um, John Womack has a has a conversation with a dealer uh, that's documented with a standardized set of questions. At, um, you know, at, at least one per week, right? And uh, he has a lot more conversations than that with dealers. But we're asking the same questions to make sure that we're getting and identifying the themes that that are coming out of it. Um, so identifying the the needle movers on options on technology on any of those core elements are, are crucial and critical. Um, then following up with folks who are submitting sold reports without that are getting rejected because they don't have enough specific information on them is another core aspect. So, you know, a lot of people ask us about, you know, uh, data collection and one of the hardest, you know, I mean, one of the hardest things about um, the, the guides process, I think, is that I don't think anybody realizes how much effort goes into it. So there's a tremendous amount of scrutiny on each and every sold report. And we throw away a fair amount of them if they, if they are incomplete. Um, and so the team spends, you know, all the time during between, you know, guide issues or, or updates or additions, cleaning up the data and making sure that we're only using good and complete data. Um, so it is a, huge degree of focus. And I think, you know, when we do, um, when we, so the other thing that we're doing is we actually do kind of comparisons with dealers. So give me everything, you know, uh, run an analysis of everything that you've uh, sold this month. Here's what you sold it for. Here's what our values were. You know, how, how close were we to that or not? We're never going to be dead on to everything. Every dealer is going to have a little bit of sure, nuance in their strategy. Yeah, but I think, but I, you know, I have gained a tremendous amount of confidence through seeing re repeatedly these kind of uh, bake-offs, uh, so to speak, uh, where we're actually looking at at data in real time towards mm -hmm. the the end of the quarter, right? So a lot of people were like, "Hey, is the data still relevant?" You know, towards the end of 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 the, the of the edition, and we see that and we see that coming through. Um, the other thing is on on the uh, on the EDA side of things, we're, we're taking that input and starting to uh, bring that back into uh, EDA as well. So certain things on, we're making some changes on um, uh, what we're tracking in EDA. Less relevant here, but in the construction space, there's a lot of uh, electrification. Right. Um, so fuel type is, is something that we're pulling in uh, on that side. And we're looking at a couple of other options based on the feedback that we're, we're getting as well. So yeah. the goal is, you know, back and forth between the two. What are the, what are the real move, move, needle movers that we need to be tracking from a, a behavior standpoint? Yeah. So that, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because it's something that I haven't been paying attention to as much as I should have. Um, it's always kind of back in my mind, but the electrification of equipment. I mean, we're starting to see that came out about five years ago, three years ago. 
we really started seeing some some people playing in that space and they were you know going to make a 25 horsepower tractor 40 horsepower tractor type of thing um and now you're starting to see some of the the, the bigger manufacturers start to get into that electrification state and a lot of that stuff is you know lawnmowers and gators and you know side by side those kind of things you're starting to see those kind of creep in there i think we're still quite a ways from battery technology being able to perform a a 600 horsepower style tractor uh longevity wise i mean we have that technology to, to do all that but it's just you know how long can you make the battery last type of thing i guess when you're when you're looking at, at that that spectrum of things i mean is there enough data out there to show you that hey this is this is going to happen in the next five to seven years that we're going to see a, a very strong um battery operated fleet or do you do you think that's still quite a ways away well i i, I think it's probably more than just you know electric uh mm-hmm. especially in um especially in the ag work i mean what you know <laughs> you know when i end up having a a diesel generator charging your charging your tractor kind of defeats the purpose right um i do think you know what you're seeing is on the construction side where there there is urban environments there is charging stations and opportunities the technology is is being developed to be able to uh be deployed for other use cases eventually the other thing is uh in since we're in Randall Riley's in trucking and, and ag. We we do see some some stuff on that side of things that are pre- that are pretty interesting. Um, the renewable diesel, so not biodiesel, but like renewable diesel. We had a really great presentation from a, a fleet in Oregon who really like did a massive pilot using renewable diesel as a as a fuel type, and uh, they saw some really incredible uh, fuel efficiency. The you know, consumption was down and they could use it, um, I think, side by side with regular diesel. Um, so that's an interesting and exciting time. And I, I think that part of your your comments about identifying early adopters, like that is one of a, a core use case for EDA, like being able to see who bought something the first year it came out. Okay. Yep. That's somebody I should really be constantly talking to about for for other new new technologies uh new adoptions um what what do you think like you know do you see any any migration from a a tech perspective to something that's you know less dependent upon diesel and with all the shenanigans in in ukraine at this point you know does that accelerate that at all i think uh, i mean i think any technology that someone can get a hold of that's going to be that's going to create efficiencies and and it's going to cut costs that, that will definitely take a, a hard look at it um you know the ag industry is no different than any other industry you got that 20 percent that's going to go out and be the first one to the gate and they're always going to be on the cutting edge of whatever and if it works great if it doesn't we'll go back to the john board and figure it out um a lot more those are also the same people that are more adverse to um uh, their their risk advertisement is way low compared to some of the other folks, you know, and they're willing to stretch out a little bit more than than some others are on those kind of those the same people that are on that 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 spectrum. Um, I think the the thing right now uh, that I'm that's going to drive price, not so much price, but customer buying decisions is is interest rates. I think you're going to that's going to be 
a big deal. I don't, and I don't suspect that this inflationary period that we're in where there are these higher interest rates are going to be like the eighties where we've got 10 years of 7% growth every year type of thing, but it's going to be, you know, in the next couple of years, I think you're going to be tight. I mean, I think it's going to be a thing. And I think one thing that I've, I've thought about is just, you know, here we got stuff guys trading in um, two and 3% interest rates for, five to seven percent interest rates i mean so there's there's a there's a thing that's going to come into play there the price of equipment you know i've, I've written a series of articles called you know the lines of delineation I've, I've written though about you know the customer buying patterns and where those are and those lines are starting to be those lines are pretty blurred i think 10 years ago where you could see guys jumping in and out and doing different things um, but now they're they're pretty solid just because of the the customer that's that's up in that bucket maybe um you know they've grown the farm to a certain level because they've been uh <clears throat> you know one guy and a hired man type of deal and they've they haven't expanded anything and they're and they're looking at retirement and those kind of things and no one's coming back so the idea of of growing their operation there was not that motivation to do that type of thing um and all the headaches that come along with doing all that so you're, you're starting to see these these folks that are you, know, you got your new buyer, you got your your one year old buyers, your, your two year old buyer types, and then you know they kind of funnel into those those varying levels of, of of buying. But I think one of the big things is, and this is where I think what your your data, especially EDA data, and what you guys are doing with the the guys the guidebooks is, I, I think we're going to be trading more components than we are actual machines in, in the. Uh, in the, in the in the near future, you know what I mean. I think if you're, if you're looking at with this, um, you know, add-on technology that you can see, like in planters, you see it on sprayers, you see it on just about everything. But I really think that 2020 through 2023 is a year that we'll look back on and saying like that was a platform that made it pretty easy for us to upgrade the technology, not necessarily the machine. And I think the manufacturers are seeing that that their profitability is relatively the same at a low, way lower price point um, by just looking at the components of the technology, not necessarily the the entire machine itself. That's super interesting. Um, so is that something that we should be tracking? I mean, it sounds like you're saying, hey, you know, those are things that we should be adding to maybe other equipment in in the guides book itself in terms of being able to put out kind of some data around that. And the other question I would have is, are, are you following UCCs on that stuff or not? We'll get back to the conversation in a minute, but first I wanted to invite you to join us virtually this December 8th and 9th for Ag Equipment Intelligence's Executive Briefing. To learn more and to register, visit agequipmentintelligence.com slash executive briefing. Now back to Casey and Prescott. I've got a customer um, that, that had, you know, the the new planner was, I can't remember what it was. It was like 800,000 bucks or 900,000 bucks. And the, to do the upgrade kit on the planner he has now is, was half the price, right? So everything's new except the bar, right? So mm-hmm. the bar that the, that the real unit's attached to. So at the end of the day, what, what are those row units worth? What's that, what's that residual value? of that, of that row unit. Um, that row unit was not, uh, they were, they were, I think they're maybe five. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're electric 
electric grill units, not a high speed by any means, but they're still electric grill units, which is not the finger pickup, which is not the vacuum pickup. I mean, it's just, it's a, you know, it's a different, different deal, you know? So, you know, what's that residual value look like and how, how does that work? Um, I think those residual values now are really low and then there's not that customer uptake, but in five years, when, if we do the same thing, you know, that same deal, now you're looking at something that's five-year-old technology that is high-speed planner technology and you've got 54 row units, right? Of this technology. Um, you know, my neighbor has got a 24 row. I got a 24 row. We go together and we buy these row units and we, you know, you take your 24, I take my 24 and here we go. So what's it worth? You know, I think those are going to start that, that conversation is, is uh, probably two to three years away to start really seeing what that looks like. You've seen it on precision planning stuff where you've seen a lot of those row units and stuff like that show up in uh, like big iron auctions. You know, you start looking at the various and even just not just necessarily the row units, but just the components of, you know, whether it's speed tubes or 2020 downforce or whatever it is that, that they're doing, like these different little spectrums are starting to pop up. And, and what's that look like? And what's that residual value have? It'll be interesting to watch that because, you know, if you take a, take a sprayer right now, that's, you know, scene spray type technology and you got the scene spray ultimate, which is the, can tell the difference between, you know, various plants and weeds and those kind of things versus um, scene spray. I forget what it's even called, but like gen one scene spray. Now you can't just go swapping around and put some software in and boom, now you got ultimate. You have to change some components to make that work. So what's the sum of, I mean, I think the sum of those components are worth more than, than the sum of the machine is. And because I can keep the sprayer and if I blow an engine up in the sprayer and it costs me $600,000 to buy a new sprayer, but I put, you know, a hundred thousand dollar engine and I spend 10 or $15,000 on, on wheel motors, I'm back in the, you know, I'm good to go. You know, I'm right back to where I need to be at. And to your point with electrification, I take out that stuff, put in an electric engine and I'm good to go. You know what I mean? So I think all those things are going to be, some components of, of how the overall spectrum of, of, of used equipment comes into play, because I don't, I think we're, we're five to 10 years away from, we're going to trade machines every once in a while and it's going to be part of the thing, but I think more updates are going to be done to the platform than to them actually just get a new machine, especially when you get to autonomy and fully capitalist machines, then you're just looking at power generation and and that's really it at that point. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that follows a, bit of a trend on the consumer side, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it's your phone or your car, uh, you're getting upgrades pushed to you and more and more of the money is being made off of, you know, uh, not replacing that stuff as frequently, but using it in different ways. Uh, right. You know, Apple, Apple services model, um, is, uh, is what 30% of their revenue right now. Yeah. You're saying they expect to make 10% of, of the revenues off software and down the road, mm-hmm. you know, so why wouldn't that follow that same pattern for yeah. sure? And uh, you know, if you can buy something for, you know, I'm just hypothetical numbers here, just throwing stuff out, but if you can throw, you know, 225 or $300,000 against the machine that you have and, and not spend six or $700,000 to get the exact new, new, everything's brand new. If I'm, a, you know, you start like, like I talked about earlier, you know, you, you're looking for efficiencies, you're looking for cost savings, you're looking for everything. If I can increase my efficiency and not increase my costs, that that's a win. You know what I mean? So th- those things all start coming into play. 
it's going to get real tough to manage your business off Excel. Yeah, <laughs> right? it really, it like, really is. Yeah. I, I, look at, I, I look at some of the dealer conferences and I see how many people are, have got an Excel sheet in front of them. And one of the things that, you know, the core takeaway from, from that is as all this complexity is coming in, it's going to get harder and harder uh, to do things the old way for sure. Yeah. yeah and I think that's where you know, data is, is. I mean, I think whoever can crack the nut first and be really into predictive analytics and understanding what predictive analytics look like and how to recognize. I mean, you can have all this data and if you don't mm-hmm. understand trend lines and, and recognize the trend lines, um, you really just have a giant bunch of numbers and some graphs and whatever. But if you, if you can understand that and see those things and recognize the trend lines of customers and the trend lines of technology and the trend lines of, mm-hmm. of what this looks like, I mean, I think laptops are a great example of that. I mean, I buy a new laptop every three years because the one I have is out of warranty, but I'm getting three times a laptop for just about the same amount of money that I spent three years ago. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's not, it's not a big difference. You know, I don't, I think that model will eventually go into equipment, whether it's construction equipment, ag equipment, the truck industry, whatever it is, because you know, you're going to have that ability to do that. And, you know, they've had those in the construction side, they've had, you know, frame, frame off overhauls, you know, where they ship everything down the frame, sandblast the frame, paint it and put every single component back brand new. And you've got a, you know, you take your, there's stories of, you know, scrapers out there that have got 50 or 60 or 70,000 hours on them type of deal. And they've, you know, been running them for 40 years because they just keep rebuilding them. But I think it's different when you start talking about the technology side of it, because I can take off the the wet system and the boom system off of a sprayer and put a whole brand new one on there and just tie it into the canvas system, update a few things there and update some software. And I got the latest technology on a on a 15-year-old platform type thing. So yeah, I mean I, I think the the application of predictive is pretty significant. It should be able to um uh it should be able to help in a lot of different areas of the business, whether it's predicting who's who's likely to do those those rebuilds uh, mm-hmm. or predicting who's likely to buy. You know, um, we launched our predictive stuff um, in pro- in platform earlier this year, and we learned so much about it. I mean, it, it's it was uh, one of my goals when I when I first came to you know this gig was to bring more predictive stuff in there. I've uh, there's a developer I've worked with for 20 years and. He's really into machine learning and, you know, we've done a, a heck of a lot with it. I, th- I think one of the core things is uh, one of the challenges I think we folks have is like, Hey, how does it work? And what can you do? Mm-hmm. Like I, I'd offer like a couple of things about like demystifying predictive for like predicting who's likely to buy simplest stuff. And you already touch on it, right? How recently did someone purchase? How frequently do they purchase? And mm-hmm. what, what's the, dollar value of, of their purchases, you know, do they, right. are they bigger or smaller at a really simple level? That's really what, what we try to remodel the data towards is sure. to say, okay, how many, how many purchases six years ago, five years ago, or, you know, and try to look and see, um, for patterns between their fleet size, uh, their purchase frequency, the size of stuff that they're actually purchasing, and it's amazing how accurate that stuff can get. Um, yeah. On the 
one of the things that I think people don't necessarily realize is ahead of John Womack and the guides editors, we have a predictive model that's actually looking at our sold reports and pushing out like a first version of the guides values before they go in and, and edit them and look at them and, and doing things along those lines. So we're using machine learning and predictive in mm -hmm. the guides uh, uh, issue itself. Cause we're, you know, we're trying to put a value out on, on the on next quarter or not on the last 12 months. Um, so both of those things have been really transformative in terms of, you know, accuracy of, of the guides values, but also in terms of being able to help people, identifying buyers for hard to move equipment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've been saying this for a while that if you're a dealership and you can, and you can harness predictive and analytics and really dive into that and really spend some time in it, cause it's a dedicated position. It's not something you do on Mondays, right? It's, yep. it's something you do every, every day, all day long um, of, of the work week. And, and, and then even some beyond that, because it's, if you can harness that and really get that and understand where things are going, you know, I'm a firm believer, you know, three, three data points are, are a trend line and what's happening in those trend lines are going. And we see it so often in this business where those three trend lines are showing a, a direction that we should be headed. And it's the ninth one that we finally make a decision on. Uh, and it's right. nine months down the road and you, should, you could have right. fixed that problem three months in and, it's just turn, you know, it's a big ship, you know, you got it takes a long time to turn it to get it around. But by the time you've got it turned, man, you could have made so much. You still not saying that you're not going to lose money still because you still will when markets turn, <clears throat> but you can lose so much less, you know, if if you do it early, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the marriage of those two things, right? Making decisions on prices sooner mm -hmm. and being able to find the buyers quicker. Yep. Or you know, are they the yin and yang of being really successful regardless of uh, where the market turns? Um, you know, the EDA stuff, I think uh, top 10% of our predictions of like our high of like high likelihood to buy is our top, mm -hmm. top 10%. Uh, about 35% of those people actually go, you know, um, are, are a hit. Right. Um, that's a big number and, uh, if you think about it. I mean, that's a big number. If 35 out of a hundred people that you identify to go in and buy something and you know, that's going to happen. That is, that's a, that's a big number. When you start thinking about that. And when you th start thinking about relationship management, sure. Service, yep. you know, uh, one of the cool things about it is it doesn't just predict large volume buyers, right? Yep. We can get you down to, to the smaller guys that, that are in that sure. model as well. And gives you an opportunity to get in and start building a relationship because Honestly, God, these guys don't make a decision like, oh, I'm going to buy no. something tomorrow. They're planning that out. So you need to be in front of them a, a little bit ahead of that and build up that relationship. And the person who talks to them first usually has the inside track. So I think like 75% of the time, the, the first salesperson that's talking to someone um, gets the deal. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's one of the, that's, you know, data, 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 data. And, People get tired of me talking about data, but data is whatever investment you make in, in, in getting that data and rendering that data, whatever, whatever investment that is that you make, I guarantee you that you get at a minimum, at a very minimum, a 10x return on your on your investment. Assuming that you've had to follow what that data says and listen, even if it's even if it's in a down market, you know, and you're well, well I lost 
hundred thousand dollars this month because of blah, blah. well you lost a hundred thousand this month not two hundred fifty thousand because you waited nine months and you're the you're the last one selling out of the trough and not the first one right so i mean those all are huge huge indicators i mean if if you could use that data to go out and predict what the tractor market was going to do at the beginning of 22 and you went out and bought all the tractors and you're sitting on you know 150 or 200 row crop tractors going into this right now could you imagine how much how easy it would be for you to be profitable right now? I mean, it would be one of those things because not only that, you are you have 250 tractors now that you're trading inside your AOR. That's just a constant churn for all your customers. Like, I don't know what everyone's talking about. This, we've got plenty of tractors to go get. You know I mean? That's a big deal. Big, big deal. One of the things we're working on is getting EDA's data more frequent so you can see that. So are you quoting stuff and losing business more frequently? Yeah. So we're trying to give you a kind of a, an indicator or a signal um, we actually just spent a, a bunch of money really transforming the, the process. If you've ever come, you know, we sometimes have uh, customers come and check our data production process out. I think uh, for those, those who don't know, we have about a 35-person team, 37-person team here in Charlotte that produce the data, and everything gets printed out right now. Mm-hmm. And so we've done a couple of things post-COVID. First, we, we augmented the team. And the second is we're going through a complete digitization of the process with the whole goal being to get our data as current as possible. Um, now, the sec- we're still dependent upon the Secretary's of State, but um, our, our data, uh, I think we knocked 30 days of recency off in the past year of getting the UCC data more recent. I, we'd like to get it under 30 days. So um, that's not going to be possible in every single state. But one of the ways that you could check to see, hey, should you be dropping prices? Are you losing deals to other people who have? Yeah. And we're trying to get um, all these investments that we're making in the data production process. We're really trying to get to the point where we can start giving you, you know, the guides might be giving you an early warning indicator, but, uh, you know, EDA can then make you more confident about that sooner rather than... Um, you know, having to wait until, until it's real bad. Yep. And, you know, something we, from a pricing perspective, we should talk about too, is, you know, you look at how things are priced and where things are going. The the easiest, in my opinion, I mean, and, and you look at the big picture and the grand spectrum of everything. I mean, to me, auction data is one of the single most important data points out there because it gives you that early indicator as to what's happened in the marketplace, right? So if you're looking at if you're looking at a downturn in the marketplace, shows up first in the in the auction market and and it slowly trickles down. And you know, God love them, the first thing that gets its head ripped off and kicked around is a soccer ball's combines and then everything else kind of falls in behind it. But you know, it's 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 the uh watching those trend lines happen and then watching what happens in the retail marketplace too is, is where those trend lines start to develop and how What's the differentiation between retail price versus auction value and all those different things that come into play? Talk about that a little bit and how you guys are looking at that data um, via your guidebooks and EDA. Yeah, so I think uh, two things. First off, uh, auction data, we, we, we look at it a lot. There are some real big hygiene problems with it. So you've got to be very, very careful about how you use auction data um, you know, to, to build your trend lines, you know, we get combines. If you, if you put our data, our new date, new combine data next to 
AEM's new data, we have between an 85 and 95% capture rate on combines, depending upon the year. So hold on a second. Hold on a second. Explain what that means. So that means uh, when we look at new UCC filings um, Mm -hmm. and the combines that we're able to get out of them, our our counts of new sales within a year um, are... Uh, depending upon the year, 85 to 95% of what AEM is reporting. So those folks that are, you know, the ones that we're not getting are people who have a blanket lien or, or, you know, using a a line of credit. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a cash buyer for for some of that stuff, but I doubt it. Um, But they're, you know, they're not financing that individual combine specifically Mm -hmm. as collateral. So because our capture rate is good, we see the serial number. And uh, on a lot of combines, so we know what the what year of manufacture it is. The second time we see that, about eighteen percent of the time, that combine has gone from being you know x old to being x minus one uh, old or x minus two old. Um, and so sometimes uh, the year of manufacture is inaccurate at auctions. Um, and that has a really significant impact on perceived price. And so one of the things that we don't know what to do in that situation, we throw that data out, by the way, um, because we're not sure, like, hey, did the did somebody have a serial number book? You know, we, we uh, there we go. The Iron Guide serial number book also have that. So uh, were they carrying one of those at the auction and thinking that it's the correct mirror manufacturer or were they thinking that it was a younger piece of equipment? So that's, that's issue number one. Uh, issue number two is a lot of the auction data doesn't have, have uh, meter reads on it. But I do think you're right that stuff shows up there pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, the third issue, though, is the number of observations. So when you talk about like making a decision after the third data point versus the, the ninth data point, one of the reasons, uh, one of the things that, that we do have going for us on the, is that we have both auction data and the sold reports. And sold reports, there are a lot more of them than there are auction results. Um, so more in ag, especially more stuff goes through the retail channel. Um, so, or the dealer channel, excuse me. Um, and so we're able to give you that some of those points a little bit quicker by marrying those two things together. Uh, Iron Guides Pro and Plus both have the ability to look at comparable sales, um, and they're updated nightly. So every single night, we're we're putting new data up there. So when you're running a an appraisal, you have the ability to go search through both uh, through auction results, through sold reports, and through advertised price to actually look at comparable equipment that has gone through our cleansing process in terms of being able to, whether we reject it or keep it. And so the goal is to try and create efficiency for you guys on that front so that you're not sitting there trying to figure out, is it accurate or not? Or, you know, pulling that data from three different sources. We want to put it all in the same place. And, you know, uh, our vision is to, to hopefully bring in your own, your own sold reports down the road as well. Right. Yeah. And I think like, that's a good point you made. Um, I have found those before in auction data when you're digging through there that, Cause I, I do everything via serial number, you know, especially if it's a, you know, it's a deer thing. So I'm gonna work for a deer dealer. So you can go through there and pull the serial numbers yeah. up and see specs and everything like that. And, and go through those, those different things. And, and it makes, <clears throat> I have found those before where there are some discrepancies in, in year and those kind of things versus what's there. So definitely something to pay attention to, but again, that's, that's 
that goes back to my earlier statement about data is that you have to understand the data that you're looking at and you have to understand what it is that you're getting. Um, if you have 50% of your data is, is bad, then you got to, you're going to have bad results, you know? So it's, you gotta, you gotta measure and, and cleanse what you, what you need to, and what you don't need to. And, and the same thing too, you know, if I'm comparing a four wheel drive combine to a two wheel drive combine, um, it, they're just different. There's different aspects in the market based on where it's selling at. You know, if you're, out here where I'm at, four-wheel drive combines don't, no one really wants them because it's, you know, doesn't rain. So it doesn't really get muddy, right? So, right. no, back home in, you know, yeah. South, South Central Kansas where I'm from, you know, it's four-wheel drive is a bigger deal. They want, they want to see that. Um, you start moving into the corn, you know, true corn belt and those kind of things, you start to see more four-wheel drive machines pop up where two-wheel drives aren't worthless, but they're not, they don't have the same return on investment that you would see in and from when it was new right i mean you're you're looking at the the differentiation there so all those things come into play so definitely definitely good points there well, man we've been going for a little bit here prescott yep. um any final thoughts you want to throw out there before before we shut it down yeah i mean i think no matter where the market moves mm-hmm. you know what we're ultimately saying is data can really help you be in control of what the market is. Yes, can. Um, I will tell you, you know, we as a data company, we use our own data. Through COVID, when everybody else in the media and advertising and, and market intelligence uh, business was uh, going through challenges, we were still able to grow uh, because we were able to find the safe spots in the market. And having used our data to be able to navigate one of those challenges, one of the core things that our whole team is really excited to do is to help dealers be able to do the same thing. So if the supply chain market is going to become harder, you know, that's, uh, we're able to help on that. And the ways in which we can help are we can help people find equipment. Uh, we're having really great success, um, with, with camp digital campaigns around that. We can help people see the most recent comparable data in the market and look at transactions that are updated nightly. Uh, EDA can help people find areas of opportunity. Um, we can help people develop CRM driven sales processes. And then finally, workforce development where, uh, not, not my division, but our talent intelligence division, um, does a lot of diesel tech recruiting. And so one of the ways that we just want to partner with dealers is we want to try and help on each aspect of the business, whether you're, whether it's parts service, new sales or, or use sales, we really want to be as relevant as possible and empower dealers to take control of their business and, and create and outperform the market. Right on. Okay. Well, Prescott, folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what you're doing. What's the best way to do that? Uh, RandallRiley.com. Uh, Prescott Shibles at RandallRiley.com is my email. Uh, P Shibles on Twitter or just Google me on the LinkedIn. You can just Google me too. I mean, okay. there's really only one Prescott Shibles out there. <laughs> um, uh, it, 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 it works for me. Right on. <laughs> right on. Makes it simple, huh? Right on, man. Well, right. I, Casey, thank you so much. This was great. A lot of yeah, fun. no, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Casey and Prescott for sharing their conversation with us. You can keep up on the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. For Casey, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.